You're listening to episode 24 of the Ento Podcast. Looking to stay up to date on all things entomorphology? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Ento Podcast with your host, Ross Bell. Hi, and thanks for downloading this episode, uh, number 24 of the Ento Podcast. This week we've got three stories. Uh, we've got another one sent in by the listener, so thanks, Todd. We'll get to your story in a bit. So the stories we've got are why we should be making a meal out of mealworms, insects a delicacy for Vietnamese foodies, and then Todd's meeting Australia's best chefs at the Noosa Food and Wine Festival. So we'll start this week off with insects a delicacy for Vietnamese foodies. And this comes from vietnamnet.vn. To many foreigners, Vietnamese are considered adventurous eaters, not afraid to devour the whole animal, blood and guts included. Insects are also on the menu. I laughed when a foreign friend recently asked me whether it was true that when a Vietnamese man encounters a new animal, he first asks, is it dangerous? Secondly, is it edible? It's undeniable that many Vietnamese enjoy eating a range of insects. The critters are local specialties, but may seem a little too creepy for the uninitiated. However, with the enticing aroma of a freshly fried bug, who knows, you may be tempted to take a bite after all. The most common insects used in food in Vietnam are grasshoppers and silkworm pupa. Roasted grasshoppers are a delicacy from the rice harvest. Grasshoppers are closely intertwined with my childhood memories. This is the author of the story. When I was younger, I loved running through the endless rice fields, accompanied my friends on the hunt for grasshoppers. The best time to catch them was early in the morning when the wings were wet with dew and they struggled to fly. Another opportunity was when it was raining. I would shout with joy when I caught a couple of grasshoppers, hugging each of them when they were still asleep with the morning's dew. Catching grasshoppers was the only way we entertained ourselves, but when I managed to catch a bunch of insects, I br- brought them home. They were then roasted, and the dish became one of my favourites. The crunchy insects were a popular for families living in the countryside in the 80s when life was still difficult they caught them in the rice fields and or bought them cheaply at market after leaving the countryside for hanoi i miss those days of catching grasshoppers with my friends but nowadays as the economy develops roasted grasshoppers have disappeared from the diets of vietnamese families particularly in big cities replaced by meat and other more expensive food but it remains a popular dish especially for those that grew up snacking on bugs it's easy to make fried grasshoppers. Boiled water is poured over the grasshoppers to, in order to remove their wings. The long antennae, hard legs and organs are removed. After that, the grasshoppers, with or without their heads, are mixed with salt, rinsed and left to dry before cooking. They're then roasted in a pan until they turn a deep brown. Slices of lemon leaves are added to the dish. The resulting dish is tasty and crunchy and highly nutritional. Grasshoppers can be found in fields all year long. However, they're especially abundant during rice harvest season from May to September, and they're usually a lot fatter. Even more popular than grasshoppers are silkworm pupa, were widely consumed in Vietnam. Roasted silkworm pupa are enjoyed by many Vietnamese people as a dish contains a lot of protein. The country's nutrition experts say that a dish rich in protein and minerals is good for children as it can prevent malnutrition and is important for the development of the body. It is also good for those who suffer from kidney disease or arthritis. The silkworm is, a, is the larvae of the caterpillar of a domesticated silk moth. 
The sericulture, or, or the practice of breeding silkworms, for the production of raw silk, has its origins in China, where it's been practiced for almost 5,000 years. It's spread to Vietnam and some other Asian cities. Many villages in North Vietnam were famous for raising silkworms, with mulberry leaves and harvesting cocoons to make natural silk. The pupa are very popular in local market, and for the market, the pupa are washed, dried, and then mixed with salt, and they can be fried with oil and fish sauce. Lemon leaves again are cut into thin strips and mixed with the fried pupa to add more taste to the dish. First time I ate silkworm pupa was a year ago in a restaurant in Hanoi. Well, at first I was afraid of eating them, but then I wanted to try as I was curious. It was much more delicious than I first thought, says Laura Carl, a Swiss teacher in Hanoi. In Switzerland, and I guess in other Western countries, it's absolutely not on the menu. So why don't we take advantage of our time in Vietnam and taste some original food, she says with a big smile. Food specialists are encouraging people from around the world to think about eating insects as an excellent source of protein. Although you may be creeped out at first, hundreds of Vietnamese can't be wrong. So why not give it a try? I was written by Vion Bach Lin. I was going to say the, uh, the Swiss teacher will have a... Shock, because the, the Swiss are they're looking at bringing insects in. But they're, they're further down the line than we are in, in the UK. But at least she'll sort of have a head start because she's already tried some. The Ento Podcast with your host, Ross Bell. Online at theentopodcast.com.uk. We'll be right back. Cricket for all your dried, flavoured and cricket protein products. Find us at www.crick8.co.uk. Back to the show, the Ento Podcast with your host, Ross Bell. Online at theentopodcast.com.uk. Uh, welcome back. So this comes from Todd. Uh, Todd's down in, what did he send his email? Uh, Sydney. It says, hi Ross, love the show, thought you might be interested in this. So thanks Todd. So this is from news.com.au and it's meeting Australia's best chefs at the Noosa Food and Wine Festival. There's a time in my life when I would have been terrified of fine dining. Like many people, I grew up in a simple meat and veg kind of household. Ingredients were simply cooked, not tortured, like the smashed avocado or shredded pork or wilted spinach currently in vogue at Sydney cafes. In fact, while I was growing up, my mother was so averse to anything fancy, she refused even to use black pepper to season dishes because it was too spicy. I'm sure I've seen people whip up gourmet dishes like it's nothing on MasterChef and My Kitchen Rules, but that's just TV, right? Surely no one eats like that. Fast forward a few years, and I found myself at an event at this year's Noosa Food and Wine Festival at Richard Branson's Make Peace Island, dining on ants. Fancy ants, but still ants. They came on top of a lemon and finger lime tart made by Joe Barrett, who I'd never heard of, but was later told was one of Australia's best dessert chefs. It was a crash course in fine dining, dining for dummies. For the record, green ants are crunchy and bitter, but surprisingly not bad, and Joe predicts Australians will gradually start eating more insects as we start to embrace more sustainable eating habits. Frankly, I was a bit nervous about meeting the chefs. I thought they'd either be terrifying Gordon Ramsay types or judgmental perfectionists like Helen Mirren's character in A Hundred Foot Journey. Needless to say, I was in for a surprise. The first night, 
I added a pop-up of Ian Curley's restaurant, The French Saloon, which, I breathe a sigh of relief, is known for excellent beef and potatoes. He's a big man, with a severe haircut and tattoos on his forearms, and he started cooking when he was released from juvenile detention in his native England. I thought it'd be a great way to meet girls, he admitted with a gruff laugh, considering he was about to serve seven courses to several hundred people, and the kitchen and the tent behind him was a flurry of activity. He was remarkably relaxed. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, he was wearing a pair of Crocs with socks. In cooking, if you don't love your profession, it's really hard to stay. I've been doing this for 30 or 35 years, and I'm still learning every day, he said. With sharing plates, you get to know the people next to you. The alcohol is flowing, and everyone has a good time. We like the sharing concept. You could be sitting next to someone you don't know, and within two dishes, you'll know a lot about them. These days, he told news.com.au, he manages eight restaurants. Oh, and he got more than he bargained for when it came to getting a girl. Together with his partner, he now has three daughters. The skills on display throughout the festival were incredibly impressive. Cole Grammel, executive chef at Sandringham Yacht Club in Melbourne, estimated he would serve 5,000 dishes of food over the weekend. No mean feat considering he was working from a caravan with a couple of fridge vans. He told news.com.au he was on the job from 3am until 10pm every day for the duration of the festival and the timing of each element of his dishes had to be precise. He had to plan everything to the minute in an exercise book to stay on track. He can also perfectly poach 140 eggs in a quarter of an hour and he laughed sympathetically when I told him that the last time I tried I'd simply made a mess. Over the course of the weekend I tried progressively in unusual ingredients. Adam Tesova and Peter Kiravati's menu however had stumped me. The duo cooked at an event called Subcontinental Voyage in Mr. Kiravati's restaurant, The Beach House, on Noosa's Main Street. The first item on the menu was Rockcliffe Spanner Crab, Brinjom Mojo Beetle Leaves. Honestly, I read and write for a living and I'd only heard of two of those words. The next course had mulligatawny soup, popcorn and green tea prawns. Whatever they were, both dishes were delicious. I just love food, Mr. DeSalvo told news.com.au. My dad's a butcher and I was always given the freedom to cook. To me, it's an art. If you put hours and passion into something, you're like a dancer or an actor. While I loved some dishes instantly, others took more getting used to. Even as a total rookie, I could appreciate the passion in every meal I tried. Renowned sommelier Matt Skinner summed it up perfectly. It's like music. It's like art. It all just comes down to personal preference. This was written by Kiralee Schwartz, and the food festival, obviously we've missed this year's, but if you're around... So the Noosa area, so Queensland area, in 2018, it's running from the 17th to the 20th of May. So thanks again, Todd, for, for that story. There's only a small mention of that, but it's always nice to see a mention nonetheless. The last story for this week comes from The Independent. Why we should be making a meal out of mealworms. This is by Julia Platt-Leonard. Living farms gives a whole new meaning to homegrown. You don't have to walk all the way to your allotment or even to your back garden to harvest your food because their hive sits right on your kitchen table or desk. Even better, the food you harvest matches the protein content of beef but without the environmental downsides of raising cattle. Sounds too good to be true. There's only one catch. You'll be growing mealworms. Yep, mealworms. Living Farms founder... Katharina Unger knows that the very idea of growing, harvesting, and yes, eating bugs is a big no-no for many of us. But she says it shouldn't be. Think of it as land shrimp. For an evolution perspective, mealworms are nothing more than a shrimp that hopped onto land a long time ago and became an insect. That's why you shouldn't be eating them if you're allergic to shellfish. That's how closely related they are.
She says the pros far outweigh any squeamishness we may have about eating bugs. Mealworms can bind the best of the animal and plant proteins, need only one quarter of the feed, and most of that can be just your leftover fruit and veg from your own table, and only 10% of the land. So how does it work? The hive is basically a set of six climate-controlled drawers. You start by placing your starter pack of micro-livestock, also known as mealworms, in the top occupation compartment. This first batch matures into beetles and breeds, producing mealworms. And from there, they begin their journey downwards, shifting to a lower level each week until they reach the bottom and can be harvested. Each tray has a louvered bottom which can be opened to drop the growing mealworms to the next level. There are fans and a ventilation system with filters, so no nasty smell. Unger and a team have kitted the hive out with an intelligent system of sensors and a heating element, so the climate is ideal for mealworm growth. Think of it as a well-designed hotel with all the mod cons that a discerning mealworm wants. When your future supper lands at the bottom of the harvest straw, they're cooled so they stop developing and don't become fully grown beetles. And at this point, you collect and freeze them before cooking them. And yes, they should be cooked. No mealworm sushi. The cooked mealworms can be kept whole or ground into anything and used from anything in muesli, cookies, soups and stews. They taste slightly nutty and mix well with all sorts of dishes. It's actually a very pleasant experience. Just give it a try, and I promise you won't regret it, Unger says. The cycle is continuous, so once you're up and running, you're getting a harvest of a minimum of 150 grams a week. If you're a convert and want more, you'll need to buy more hives, as there currently isn't a larger, more commercial size, although that is planned for the future. And of course, if you go away on holiday, you'll want a hive sitter to keep the process going, although it doesn't take much to run and maintain the system. What isn't minor is the fact that many of us have an aversion to bugs, in general, and eating them in particular. Unger feels this is akin to what we once felt about eating raw fish, and also notes that in other cultures, people freely eat bugs without any qualms, which has got a point. Many countries eat insects either out of choice or necessity, including parts of Mexico, South America, Africa, and Southeast Asia. Interestingly, Unger says that some of her customers are vegetarian and vegan. They often find it ethically more acceptable to eat insects rather than mammals, she says. The mealworms also offer valuable vitamin B12 and B5 and fibre, which meat doesn't. The fatty acid profile is excellent. The protein content similar to soya beans. And Unger isn't the only one who likes us to eat bugs. Grub is an online shop selling prepared grasshoppers, crickets, mealworms and buffalo worms. And Unger says that living farms is different and that you'll grow your own, controlling the diet of your mealworms so you know exactly what you're eating. Unger isn't advocating that we give up meat altogether and says that she and most of her team eat meat, albeit much less these days. By including mealworms in our diet, we can get the protein we need without putting undue strain on land, environment and also on our pockets. With food prices overall on the rise, the economical benefit of growing your own protein does look tempting. And thanks to a 2016 Kickstarter campaign, Livin' Farms is shipping out the first 300 farms this October, including some to the UK. The hive is a compact 30cm by 40cm by 55cm and weighs 10 kilos and costs 579 US dollars, roughly about £440. But that's your only investment. Unger hopes that early adopters will spread the word and that with time, marketing and word of mouth, that more of us will become converts. So it's a nice looking system, but it is a little pricey for people to start sort of getting into. But hopefully if more people buy these startup kits, then you'll be able to produce more and hopefully the costs will come down.
Well, I'll put a link to the, the Living Farms website and all of these stories today. And again, if you've got any stories that you've seen or you've, any events that you know are coming up, pass them across, stick them in the show notes, or we'll try and get them on a future episode. But until next week, this is Ross saying ta for now. Thanks so much for listening to the Ento Podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit theentopodcast.co.uk and on Facebook and Twitter at The Ento Podcast. We'll catch you next time.